The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. Is the shine coming off the pearl of the Orient? As it finally opens up its borders to the world after a long COVID shutdown, can Hong Kong resume its status as Asia's leading financial hub? Confidence there and in the outside world is not high. In 2022, GDP shrank by 3.5%. Now, partly that's down to COVID and partly to a brain drain. The effective ending of the freedoms guaranteed when the UK handed Hong Kong back to China 25 years ago have left the city's brightest and best in a quandary. Put up with oppression or leave. Many have gone and many others are in prison. And if Hong Kong's unique status is ebbing, what makes it any more attractive for international finance than China's homegrown business dynamos like Shanghai? And has the experiment of one country, two systems, turned out to be an expensive failure? That's our subject on today's Why Curve. Brought to you by Wigmore Associates. The Why Curve. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because the number of people leaving Hong Kong, I mean, when when we offered the ability for those people with a British overseas uh, passport to to move here, I mean, quite a few did. But I mean, it wasn't, it was still a very small slice of the population. Yeah, a lot more, it seems, anyway, uh, have moved to Taiwan, interestingly, Mm. and Mm. other parts uh, of Asia. There seems, uh, the jury is out, really, the extent to which... Uh, this is going to hobble Hong Kong going forward. But there is a sense, you know, with, with major figures like Jimmy Lai being imprisoned and, you know, the sense that, that the crackdown on political freedom is very hard. There's a sense, why should people want to stay there? The, the things that made it attractive as a place to live and work and think and read and write and do all those sort of things which was very important to people who actually made the money for Hong Kong, is kind of webbing away. But it's never had a democracy, though, has it? It's not as though we changed the system, no. the, the Brits left and democracy disappeared. We never gave democracy to... We gave to them the democracy of a kind. I mean, it was, you know, it was colonial. It was mm. a colony. There's no mm. question about that. It was very limited. Yeah. And many people said it should have gone a lot further, a lot faster. But then China didn't want that to mm. be the case for obvious reasons. So uh, yeah, it, it's very debatable. But and, and could it exist as a city-state, Alan? Singapore, which I suppose is the obvious analogy. Again, interesting questions, because of course, a lot of the reason big firms, big banks, big finance houses set up in Hong Kong in the first place was it was a door to China. It was a way in. Well, and it still is a door to China. The question now is, do we want to, to trade with China? As much as we have in the past. Uh, and, uh, and do we need a door? Because actually yeah. <laughs> access to Shanghai and all the other places is, is reasonably good now that China itself is opening up. Yeah, yeah. So, But I wonder whether, you know, uh, it will find that because China, I mean, we still will trade with China. Hong Kong will, even though, you know, a lot of rights have been taken away from people, there weren't a lot of rights before. Uh, and I wonder whether people will just put up and shut up and uh, and it will st- somehow struggle through. It's hard to tell, isn't it? Because the last few years have been an unusual few years and they obviously did clamp down more than most in terms of dealing with COVID, like yeah, the rest yeah. of mainland well, China. the mask mandate is literally just ending as we speak. Yeah. Uh, and that's been going on for, I think, six 600 days. So we can look at that and say, well, okay, people were put off by all of that. But uh, without a pandemic, will it will it bounce back? That's the question, I guess. It is. And, I mean, it has to be said, the big finance houses are still there, by yeah. and large. They're, HSBC they're, is yeah. sort of, if anything, is moving more into Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, the, so the, the, there is interest there, but there are also some are pulling out. There are some signs of moving to other places. It's one of those issues where I think, you know, the, the, it's been such a major, major thing on the international financial landscape. The few Future really matters well for all of us. 
Well, we're going to talk to somebody about this in just a second. First of all, of course, a reminder that the YCAV is brought to you by Wigmore Associates. They are the boutique wealth management company in London that will manage your portfolio, as well as providing advice on pensions, tax planning, including inheritance tax. They pride themselves on providing a high level of personal service, delivering real returns for any given level of risk within a tax-efficient portfolio. Their success at doing all of this is reflected in how long their clients have been with them. I mean, some of them have been with them for 30 years or more. So if you want to be the next long-term client of Wigmore Associates, look them up on the web. Go to wigmore-associates.co.uk or give them a call on 0207 224 That's 0207 224 Wigmore but, Associates. But now let's go to the man who's going to tell us about what we can expect from the future of Hong Kong. And it's Dr. Yan Ho Lai, visiting researcher at the Dixon Poon School of Law of King's College London, also a non-resident fellow of the Georgetown Centre for Asian Law and a co-convener of the Hong Kong Studies Association. He joins us now. And I think we can call you Eric, can't we? So, uh, so I'll stick with that one. So tell me, uh, I mean, it really is supposedly one country, two systems. But is it actually becoming one country, one system? I mean, what is the intrinsic difference now between living in Hong Kong and living in Shenzhen, for example? Um, most of the Hong Kong people see one country, two systems as a way to preserve uh, their way of life, their enjoyment of liberty, and to have a plural, diverse society. But all these elements have almost been vanished after the government introduced the national security in Hong Kong making people afraid of expressing their opinions publicly and making people feel uh, hesitant uh, to see Hong Kong as uh, uh, economically vibrant city right. anymore. So you think that's what changed then? Because, of course, it's never been a democracy, has it? Even under, under British rule, it was basically a British colony. You could, never, you could never vote for who was going to govern you. It is true that Hong Kong has never been a democracy, but the British colonial government have, installed a great degree of autonomy and civil liberties in Hong Kong and above all, uh, a well-established, well-functioned independent judiciary to promote Hong Kong as a city of rule of law. But all these pillars have been weakened by the Chinese government when they used the national security law to crack down on Hong Kong in the past two but years. In that situation with people feeling that, I guess, and maybe it's only the elite that are worried about this, I don't know. But how do ordinary Hong Kongers feel about this? Do they feel it's something they can live with as long as they can keep I, getting rich? I would see uh, numbers speak itself. In the past two years, there are more than 300,000 Hong Kong families uh, departed uh, from Hong Kong to relocate to the UK or elsewhere for the sake of their children and a better way of life. And for those who remain in Hong Kong, they are still suffering from uh, the economic inequalities or different kinds of inequalities that could be attributed to a very uh, closed uh, government system that only favors the, uh, only favors the well-off. So this is, this is a, something very tragic that even if Hong Kong has no democracy and the rule of law used to be uh, key pillars to prove that Hong Kong is a, uh, is a very well-functioned city. But now when this pillar is gone, we cannot foresee uh, a good future anymore. 
But 300,000, I mean, and about half of them, I think, came to the UK, didn't they, with the, uh, with the, with the uh, extension for British overseas passport holders to be able to come and live and work in the UK. I mean, 300,000 out of a country of 7.4 million is, is, is still a relatively small percentage, isn't it? So there's a lot just putting up with it for whatever reason. I, I, I see uh, this is, uh, this is uh, incremental. Uh, the development will be incremental, mainly because uh, many Hong Kongers, as far as uh, my, I know, uh, my friends, my relatives, they plan to leave Hong Kong, but not immediately, mainly because they need to be well prepared for, the, uh, for, for, their, for their living when they relocate. Uh, it is very ironic that when everyone knows the economy in Britain is getting uh, bad, but people in Hong Kong still are still eager to, to move uh, to the UK, mainly because they see uh, uh, maintaining their own way of life, enjoying uh, free, ed- uh, free ideas and uh, genuine uh, education for their children is more important than earning a living in Hong Kong. But all that in the same time, does it make much difference to Hong Kong as a place? This is somewhere that has been very, very important in the financial architecture of the world and certainly of Asia. Is it somewhere where uh, which, where that is still going to be the case? Because actually the people who make the money, the rich, the elite, are going to stay, are going to put up with it. And Hong Kong's importance will just continue as before. The success of Hong Kong as a global financial hub was built on this independent judiciary and this reputation of a free market and a free civic space. And unfortunately, when the national security law came to Hong Kong, it uh, creates a huge instability and uncertainties to the local courts, as well as the legal system as a whole. As we see, when the Chinese authorities uh, continue to empower the executive government to undermine the uh, local courts ruling, not just in criminal matters, but also in civil matters, it would discourage uh, global investors from considering Hong Kong remain as a robust uh, financial hub backed by a good legal system. So why do you think uh, China has become so heavy-handed? Is it because they felt as though Hong Kong was too difficult to control, or was it a case that they, they just couldn't help themselves, or was it a lack of understanding of, of what they inherited? Uh, when we reveal uh, the political development of China in the past decade, particularly after Xi Jinping came to power, we can see China places political security or regime survival over all other aspects of the country's development. And in the case of Hong Kong, uh, as we, as we learned that uh, there was a uh, citywide uh, six-month-long protest in 2019 that uh, stimulated the Chinese authorities of their uh, concern of, uh, of the regime security. And therefore, uh, from Xi Jinping's point of view, safeguarding Hong Kong's political security for the CCP, for the Chinese Communist Party, uh, became the top priority. Uh, despite the fact that uh, the political crackdown would cause a huge uh, economic uh, uh, loss and global sanctions. So you really think that that crackdown actually did make a big difference in terms of of Hong Kong's financial uh, position? I mean, we know that it lost quite heavily last year, for example, in terms of GDP. But overall, is it really a financial 
issue for, for Hong Kong? Or uh, as I say, big companies like HSBC still continue to invest there. Is it something that will just be a passing phase? Well, HSBC are actually moving more of their top executives to, to Hong Kong because they're seeing that the focus is on, is on Asia. They're moving people out of their I mean, they're keeping their headquarters in London, but they're moving more people out of London into Hong Kong. So, um, you know, they see Hong Kong as in, integral to their growth plans, like a lot of other countries, obviously, because it's seen as being the gateway into China. I can see this is only one side of the coin. If we recall uh, the recent economic summit organized by the Hong Kong government, uh, many uh, heads of the global uh, investment companies or multinational companies from the U.S. declined their invitation or just withdrew uh, at last minute because of the pressure from the U.S. government as well as the lobbyists in the U.S. We can see uh, uh, as long as uh, the U.S. governments as other Western governments remain their sanctions regime against Hong Kong, not just to the officials, but also uh, to, to regulate uh, their own investors when they uh, do business in Hong Kong, uh, that political event of uh, the political consequences uh, for those companies making uh, deals with Hong Kong or Chinese authorities would be made as a risk. So, can you see uh, can you see a storm brewing then between between China and the rest of the world? Can you see that this concern, for example, that if if, if China sides with Russia, uh, and uh, you know we we start to see you know the the, the West and China go separate ways, there will be less in less investment. I mean, it always. I mean, I think you know some people would say, well, this is just a, a transitory phase we're going through. I mean, there's we're always going to uh, rub shoulders with China, even though there might be a bit of tension. There's there's, there's always going to be trade because it's too big to ignore. Hong Kong used to be uh, in a free hub for international exchange between the East and the West. And now, because of the geopolitical tensions, Hong Kong effectively became part of the scheme of China-Russian deal. There were many newspapers revealed that uh, since Russian invasion, uh, there were many uh, Russian companies uh, start registering their companies in Hong Kong and do trading. And it would, it would of course, uh, catch, uh, caught uh, the attention of the Western powers and make Hong Kong become less uh, impartial and less um, uh, autonomous in face of these uh, international disputes. So, so you think the big companies, we mentioned HSBC, there are plenty of others, you think they really are, in the next five to ten years, going to withdraw from Hong Kong? Hong Kong is going to lose that kind of access to the financial superstructure. Because until a couple of years ago, it was actually going the other way. So UK foreign direct investment, this is just the UK and Hong Kong, uh, was £77.5 billion, pounds, which is the most it's ever been. It's more than double the investment that the Brits make in, in Australia, for example, more than the UK invests in Germany. Uh, so there's still a lot of British money, and I'm sure it's the same from the United States and other parts of the world, which have been heading to Hong Kong. But you think that's going to dry and up? We, uh, there are many upcoming uh, regulations or hearings on how the, how the business communities in the UK are actually facilitating uh, the crackdown on Hong Kong. So I, I would say uh, in the short term, perhaps, uh, without any political uh, move, uh, the UK businesses would be happy to continue to uh, run their business in Hong Kong, uh, just like how they run business in the mainland. But first of all, it also shows that Hong Kong's distinctiveness uh, from, main, from cities in mainland has been highly diminished. When, when investors trade with Hong Kong, they will see they are simply trade with a 
and other mainland cities. But on the other hand, when the political situation continues to be tense between the West and China, I would say there was uh, those uh, sanctions regime or those uh, counter uh, counter policy against China's uh, invest, uh, investment or influences uh, will expand to Hong Kong. So do you think the situation is going to get worse with China then? I mean, I mean, obviously, they, they are trying to position themselves uh, over Russia by saying, well, we could we could take on the role of, as peacemaker. Is that all just uh, just hiding the, the real agenda that President Xi has? I mean, is, is he going to go further? And is, is this this idea that there will be a, a cooling of relations, almost like a new Cold War that's not just going to include Russia, it's going to include China as part of it? I think in practice, uh, China tries to be an ally with Russia instead of a peacemaker. They still uh, try to blame uh, blame the sanctions uh, on Russia by other uh, by other governments, which will of course uh, uh, provoke uh, the Western powers' uh, discontent with the Chinese position. And as long as China uh, remains support uh, for uh, Russia in this in, uh, in this war with Ukraine. And it would only show uh, that China is, is not trying to play an impartial role, but rather uh, it is just a, a lip service to claim that China wants to be a peacemaker. What about what's going on in Hong Kong itself, Eric? Because we, you talked about the whole period of, of upheaval, of, of protest, uh, of disorder, disorder spreading and the Chinese crackdown on that. Is that all over now? Is, is the whole thing about the umbrella protest and everything else, that's all gone, that's history. People then are now just going to either leave or accept it, and that's it. Exactly. Um, most of the leaders of the, uh, of the democratic movements in Hong Kong, uh, they are now uh, either in jail or pending for trials for national security crimes. And we have more than 200 uh, pro-democracy leaders, journalists and scholars who are active in the movement are now uh, being prosecuted. So these political prisoners cannot mobilize the public, uh, of course. But uh, after, the COVID, uh, when after the COVID pandemic, uh, we can see uh, there are still many uh, local groups trying to protest for their basic rights, uh, such as their labor rights and on this non-discrimination issues, as well as the sustainability of the city. Um, although a political movement may not be desirable in the short term, but uh, as long as there are people uh, in Hong Kong who still want to express uh, their policy concerns, and uh, as long as there are still political prisoners in Hong Kong, uh, they are uh, global attention uh, to Hong Kong's development will be made strong. And what about the new chief executive, the the, the person in charge de facto? Um, any sign that they have a different way of looking at things than, than previously, or, or is it just the Beijing line? That's it. They're just following the job description, aren't they? Um, we can see uh, the new chief executive, uh, Mr. John Lee, tries to rebrand Hong Kong as a free city, welcoming uh, foreign investors and. Uh, remain as a global uh, hub. However, uh, in on the other hand, uh, Mr. Lee also continue to uh, use the national security law to order uh, prosecutions against uh, local groups and individuals to prevent any possibility of the revival of a citywide movement. And uh, as of now, the, the court, the local court, are still uh, trying uh, journalists and political activists for uh, national security crimes. 
say, publishing seditious publication or inciting uh, subversion. Uh, of state power well when i was uh, researching you know because i do do a bit I, I don't think roger does any but i do a bit of research before we before these podcasts i was looking at uh, how many companies are leaving and i came across uh, a report on cnn from a year ago uh, a report from the hong kong european chamber of commerce that said nearly half of all european businesses in hong kong were considering le- relocating within 12 months and the CNN report had a had had a link to to the, the report from the uh, Chamber of Commerce. Uh, guess what? The report has been taken down. Surprisingly, <laughs> uh, and that is, of course, you know, censorship is it's rife now, isn't it, in Hong Kong? I mean, it really is. It really has changed a a, a great deal. So um, that would mean, I mean, people who are looking for freedom, uh, who are wanting to base themselves in Asia. Uh, unless you're, you know, hell bent on making a lot of money out of China, if you're looking at the rest of Asia, surely you'd be looking at Singapore. I mean, Singapore must be the natural replacement for Hong Kong, isn't but it? But when Hong Kong become a very highly high, uh, has a high censorship regime, Hong Kong, it is very difficult uh, for business groups to consider their risk uh, in when we investing in Hong Kong. I could still remember I was interviewed by a journalist uh, in Bloomberg. Uh, when they were doing a story uh, that many economic analysts in Hong Kong are now reluctant to comment on the economic development and the financial situations in Hong Kong, mainly because they were afraid of being charged with sedition. And this is quite different from Singapore, although we know that Singapore is not a full democracy anyway, but the certainty and stability of the legal system, the clear boundaries of uh, the information flow in Singapore is much clearer and more ostensible than Hong Kong. When Hong Kong used national security law to crack down on different groups of people, ranging from critiques on COVID policies to promoting Hong Kong self-determinations, we can see there's a lot of uh, priority and arbitrary power used by the government, and people do not know where is the boundary. It will be very difficult for investors to consider Hong Kong remain as a stable place for investment. Well, I mean, on the on the Singapore thing, I mean, there's a number of factors showing that Singapore is surpassing Hong Kong. It's actually got a bigger GDP than than Hong Kong now. Uh, air travel is bouncing back more into Singapore. Foreign money in banks is higher. Demand for rental properties is higher in Singapore. Uh, there's more office vacancies in Hong Kong than there is in, in Singapore. Uh, Hong Kong, you know, still has more in, in terms of asset management, but the, even that gap is narrowing. So yeah, it seems okay. like that's already starting to happen. And they also manage COVID rather better, because I think that's one thing we haven't really touched on, Eric, that we need to mention, which is how strict, and, and some say how almost incompetent, really, it was at the same time, that the way that COVID was managed in Hong Kong. It is very true that uh, the COVID pandemic the COVID pandemic has been mismanaged by the Hong Kong authorities in the past three years. The, uh, the changing of policy directives, uh, directions and the use of different kinds of regulations uh, without a clear goal of uh, COVID pandemic and the shift uh, from zero COVID policy to uh, full open full openness of the city has made many people and professionals confused. There are many citizens in Hong Kong decided to leave the city, not just because of the national security law, but because of the poor governance uh, the government has made uh, during the pandemic. There was one uh, local uh, local company uh, working on uh, recycling uh, on environmental purposes. Uh, they were 
uh, they could not find a place uh, to run their business in Hong Kong anymore because of the rejection of the authorities. But the Singapore government, Singaporean government welcomed them and let them set up their, their business there. It's quite ironic, right, when the Hong Kong government tries to promote Hong Kong as, uh, a good, uh, space, as a good space for global investment. If local uh, companies are trying to uh, relocate to Singapore for a better for for a better business, so if this decoupling was to happen, I mean, if, if, if from what you're saying, it sounds like you know the the West, well, certainly Europe and the UK and the United States uh, are going to you know do less trade in the future with with China because the situation, the political situation, will worsen and there'll be uh, more restrictions. Which really started with Donald Trump. Maybe Donald Trump was ahead of his time in some ways on this, uh, but you know we are going to see ourselves trading less with China uh, and the. The, we could see a worsening of the situation involving Russia. Then we must, you must be looking at companies like HSBC and you know those companies that are putting uh, foreign direct investment, putting their their money into Hong Kong. Thinking, what are they doing? Well, I mean, surely it's a very risky strategy for them. I, I cannot simply criticize those uh, com- uh, companies like HSBC to uh, to invest or work with uh, autocratic uh, regimes <laughs> in making money. Uh, if there is their choice, uh, but they have to bear the consequences uh, if their investment, if their co- collaboration would harm uh, the interests of their home countries, say the UK. And we can see uh, when John Lee, uh, the Chief Executive of Hong Kong, uh, commands his office, he tries to uh, promote Hong Kong, but to, not to the West anymore. He focused on the Middle East, he focused on Southeast Asia, or following uh, the Belt and Road Initiative scheme uh, of China, meaning that uh, they want to reshape Hong Kong as an international city for uh, China's allies only, or for uh, for the mm. Middle East, for other, for Asia, other or autocratic yeah, regimes. Exactly. But that, that might make a lot of sense, I suppose, Eric, because, you know, you, you could actually, there are a lot of very wealthy Gulf countries, for example, that might see that as a very good way forward. Would it work for Hong Kong? Could it work? Well, it really depends on whether the local professionals or business groups are, are welcome of this, uh, of this strategy. Uh, many local professionals, uh, bankers, uh, lawyers, accountants, they have, been, they have been working well with the West for decades, and they share the Western values just because of the chilling effect in Hong Kong after the national security law was imposed, they would not be outspoken. But whether they truly believe that making money with the other parts of the world is beneficial to the future of Hong Kong, I, I, I still have doubts. So why so few have uh, from Hong Kong have, have taken the offer to live in the UK? I know that I know the weather's a bit rubbish here in winter, uh, but, <laughs> but I mean, you would have thought that more would be taking that opportunity to to get out and go to a uh, to, to a, a democracy where they can pursue freedom. Well, I've heard more have actually gone to Taiwan. I don't know if that's right, Eric, but it's interesting. Well, um, I am an academic. Uh, I would I would uh, des- I would desire. Uh, a, space, a city with uh, full academic freedom to, to help me to carry out a genuine research. When there are so many uh, of my fellow scholars decided to leave Hong Kong, uh, or they became criminalized or uh, criticized by the authorities, 
it's very unlikely that the chilling effect uh, would, would help me to continue genuine research. No. Well, would you ever go back? Would you, I mean, would you be fearful of going back, even sort of like transiting through Hong Kong on the way to, to Australia, for example? Well, I would say uh, it's very difficult to make a decision right now. And we still have many political trials coming up. And this would be a stress test for Hong Kong's court, whether they could remain uh, their reputation for judicial independence and the rule of law. If these pillars are gone after uh, we observe uh, the outcome of these trials, this would be a very discouraging factor for not just me, but for many of my fellow colleagues to consider Hong Kong uh, could uh, return to be a safe uh, place or a very open city. Uh, for us to continue our professional work. Right, so you don't really think that's, that, that this is going to go your way, though, do you? I mean, the signs are not in any way suggesting that what you're talking about, a return to some sort of freedom, could ever really happen. In, in the short term, it's very unlikely that Hong Kong could return to a stage uh, before the national security law was imposed. But who, who knows what will happen next? And the year of 2024 will be very critical uh, in terms of the, the situations in Hong Kong and China when the Taiwan's presidential election will be heard uh, in 2024, as well as the U.S. presidential elections. These key elections would uh, reveal how the people receive the threat of China and how uh, these authorities would uh, determine uh, their policies uh, in, in, in light of China's aggression. Right, but it's always, it's always going to be rocky, though, isn't it, from now on, irrespective? I mean, you, do you take a point in time, there might be a change in relationships, but everyone is going to be going, but that's only for a few years. Do I really want to live here full time? Yes, yes, yeah, I, I guess uh, people remain quite pessimistic. Uh, let's just say uh, when Xi Jinping succeeded uh, his third term of uh, leader in China, many people got frustrated. Since Xi Jinping will continue his rule until until the end of his days, uh, making making China become a uh, very dictatorial uh, government, which many and people would say it is already. But yes, yes, yeah, it was, it's a very uh, it's a very uh, tragic uh, and sad fact. And people hope that China could uh, enjoy a kind of good governance or rotations of leaders uh, without democracy. Uh, but now uh, the reality proved this wrong. Well, th- thank you for being so candid. Uh, we appreciate uh, your thoughts on all of this, and it really is a sad situation, isn't it? But, Eric, th- thanks for joining us today. That was Dr. Yan Ho Lai, a uh, visiting researcher at the Dixon Poon School of Law of King's College. Thank Law. you, thank you. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, yeah. that whole thing about let's just deal with the other autocrats, but if the West wants to deal with us, then uh, we will. We'll take their money yes. uh, and, you know, more fool them if they don't work with us. Because well, there was a piece in the South China mm-hmm. Morning Post. You wonder how independent you, you that is. read that regularly, I'm sure. I always do. Uh, well, actually, funnily enough, I do read it quite mm. a bit, but you wonder how independent that is now, of course. Difficult. But it uh, re- highlighted a report from the Kiel Institute that decoupling of the EU from China, mm. uh, if, you know, if this relation turns sour, if trade was reduced by 97%, in other words, more or less yes, all of it, uh, then German economic output would uh, be reduced by 36 billion euros every yes. year. So they're basically saying, yeah, don't trade with us and you'll pay the consequences. You'll, you'll have the issues. Mind you, the issues will be for China as well. But I mean, that, that is all depend yeah, on they, so they much. They replace it with trade yeah. they get from another autocratic well, nation, which is possibly. Their, 
their focus. Of Although we seem to be almost at war with most of them. Um, but I think the I think the point there is it's you know there's huge issues geopolitically that will pay into all this mm. over the next uh, three or four years, and we can't really say how it's going to work out. But meanwhile, let's talk about something much closer to home and much more pleasant: which, working less, yes, or working from home. How has oh, the yes, or not how, working at all? Oh, well, that would be nice too, wouldn't it? As long well, as the money kept on yeah, coming in, there's a huge um, issue really about the way we work now. Do we work from home? Do we work in the office? How many days a week do we work? Yeah, uh, and there's a bit of research showing that actually, with, with a trial of companies, mm. that those that cut down the working week to four days really didn't see any change in yeah. their output. Yeah. So I mean, we could find certainly we do get it down to four days. Then maybe we find well, actually, we can cut it down to three. Yes. And then maybe we actually discover the only time work is ever done is late on a Tuesday afternoon. Yes. So let's well, Wednesday's also, better for me. But yes. Is it? Well, okay. Well, yeah. Well, Wednesday then. Just work on a Wednesday, and uh, and then or, that's fine. Or hardly work at all, and the robots replace us. So there's lots of possibilities. Or AI, you know. Um, chat GPT will probably be able to do most of the things that, 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 that we do. and I do, frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, so Possibly what is the future? What is the future of work? How are we going to be working in the future? Are we going to be working? Who's going to be doing the work? I mean, they're trying to get all these people who retired early back into work because mm, good luck with that. they're not economically active, or whatever no. the phrase is. So we want to drill into that. We want to see what exactly is it going to be? What's it going to look, at, look like? A lot of people are doing a lot of research into that, and that's what we will be doing because we'll be here at working. Yeah, we'll be. Yes, exactly. So, to, and I know it's hard work to listen to us as well. So, so, we'll talk and about we work. We appreciate your efforts in that department. <laughs> That's right. next week on the Why Curve, brought to you by Wigmore Associates. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening in. The Why Curve.